you who may be here today for the first time, uh, we are picking up today, we've been doing a, a four-week series on salvation. And today, we're taking, looking at the Methodist perspective, John Wesley's perspective on, on salvation. And he had a sermon called The Scripture Way of Salvation that we're going to explore and see how his view may be a little unique, how we're unique as Methodists as we look at salvation. So let's look at kind of where we've been. Um, for the first two weeks, we looked at our salvation narrative from the beginning of Genesis all the way through the Amen in Revelation. And we realized that we do have a salvation narrative that expands both the Old and the New Testament. And in the New Testament, I mean, the Old Testament, we discovered that salvation started off meaning things like being saved from one's enemies, saved from bondage, saved from slavery, um, moving in after the Exodus or even before then, uh, that there was also this idea of God saving us from our sins. Um, as we moved toward the ends of the writing of the Old Testament, that there became this expectation or this hope that there would be um, an afterlife, a resurrection for, of the dead, that, that salvation would include a resurrection of the dead. And that thought then carries into the New Testament. There's still this hope for salvation as being uh, released from one's enemies or from the misuse of power, from bondage. The hope was that Jesus would be the Messiah that would um, release the captives from the bondage of Rome. And so in the New Testament, then we see that carried, that hope and idea carried for, forward, but also settling in on that Jesus Christ came to set us free from the bondage of sl and slavery to sin and death. And that also part of that is that we are saved, as Abraham was, to be a blessing. And that part of that salvation, we can't separate our salvation narrative from the kingdom of God. And then the kingdom of God is how, that kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, how would God have us live so that others are not captive, that others are not in bondage, that others are not oppressed. How do we live today so that we bring a little bit of that kingdom of God on earth and that people can see and experience God's salvation now? We moved into um, then last week talking about different theories of when we say that Jesus, that Jesus saves us from our sins by dying for us on the cross, what does that mean? We're not going to go over all that again. Get it online. <laughs> it, was, it was deep and wide, and we'll touch a little on that as we go through today. But uh, different theories of atonement. And so today we're going to look at our, our Methodist view of that. We'll take a look at John Wesley's perspective on salvation. But what we, before we do that, we have to talk about, and we have a little bit in the past, his view on sin. What about the human condition and sin? If Jesus Christ saves us from our sins, what does that mean? And what did Wesley think of that? Well, Wesley, like most reformers of the day, uh, considered us being created in the image of God, like Genesis talks about. We're created in the image of God, and that within us there is a part of the divine. But from the first disobedience of Adam and Eve, that image of God had been defaced. And that we, that, that original sin that occurred uh, in the Garden of Eden 
was passed down through from generation to generation and this was a thought a theory of um, a, a doctrine that was passed on by Augustine and while we would look at Augustine's writings today and say he got a lot of that wrong we would still agree and Wesley agreed that we can't do anything without God's grace that relationship with God had been there a wall had gone up the image of God in us had been defaced and that we could do nothing godly or godlike or good on our own it all had to come through God and we needed to be saved that there were different kinds of sin from the smallest of maybe personal sins gossiping you know telling a lie um, to large sins like murder but also there so there's individual sins and there's also um, institutional sin um, sins like the whole power structure in the past of slavery that John Wesley fought to um, to get rid of as was apartheid in our own day and that we contribute to that so we have sins of uh, commission things that we do personally that could be sinful so we could do the, the gossiping or the lying or the murder we could contribute to those the institutional structures of um, of evil like apartheid or slavery um, but we also have sins of omission and that would be when we don't stand up to the injustices that we see around us um, the the power structures that are creating evil in the world so that that would be sinful as well so that is the in a nutshell that's the human condition and we need to be saved from that so that we can be restored into God's image and what God created us to be so there's where we pick up with Wesley's thought on sin and as we move into this I did last week I'll say this week again here are some of the things that I referred to as as I worked on this lesson and that is um, what John Wesley's sermons in seminary that was like our uh, that was next to the Bible we had both of those in our hands so John Wesley's uh, an anthology of John Wesley's sermons that were edited by Albert Outler who didn't he teach you at Perkins uh, and Richard Heitzenreiter and then a book called Wesley and people the people called Methodist also by Richard Heitzenreiter uh, a new book that's out that's really, really good, Key United Methodist Beliefs, written by Billy Abraham and David Watson. David Watson was a Ph.D. student when I was at Perkins, and he is now uh, academic dean at United Seminary. So he's really had a meteoric rise. And so they wrote this book together. It's very friendly, and it really gives you, if you're, if you're wondering kind of what is Methodism about, this is a great, easy read. It's just been released. Um, hot off the press so you might want to pick that up and then of course the book of discipline which we just all sleep with uh, under our pillows at night um, which in the beginning gives an incredible um, survey of our Methodist history and and doctrines and how we're different and a little bit of that I'm going to go ahead and share with you today as Methodists we share some affirmations with all Christian communities and faith so here's the way that we're as Christians we are all alike we believe in the Trinity, in the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We hold in common faith in the mystery of salvation. We all Christians believe that Jesus Christ has come to save us. So in and through Jesus Christ, there is salvation. 
we share the Christian belief that God's redemptive love is realized in our human life and in our human existence through the power of the Holy Spirit, by the Holy Spirit working in our lives, both in our personal experience, that the Holy Spirit works with us in a personal way, but also in, in our community of faith, that, that the Holy Spirit, is, if we're gathered around a table in Bible study, the Holy Spirit is there working in and through the community and in and through our worship, in and through communion, in prayer as the community. So the Holy Spirit is active in both of those ways. We as Methodists are part, or as Christians all around the world, are part of Christ's universal church. We are the church and the body of Christ. As we uh, become more and more conformed to Christ, we are the church. And we are initiated, this is what all Christians believe, we are initiated into the community of faith through baptism. And in our baptism, the, then we are called to go into ministry in some form ourselves, and we are transformed by the Holy Spirit. Our lives are changed by that. We recognize the reign of God as both a present and a future reality. We talked a lot about the already and the not yet of of salvation, but also the reign of God in our lives. That God is that the reign of God is present, and we see that as a future reality. And salvation is by grace through faith, not through the works that we do. Also, as Christians, we believe that the church is in continual need of renewal. That we're human. Even though we are the body of Christ, we are still human, and we get things wrong sometimes. And so the church is in need of continual renewal. So those are things we hold in common with all Christians, but we do have some distinctive Wesleyan emphases. So what makes us unique? And uh, so we have distinctive emphases as for living as Christians in the world, and here's the big deal. All... All Christians believe that we are saved by grace through faith. But what I love about the Wesleyan tradition is that grace pervades all of our understanding. It pervades our understanding of the Christian faith and life, and especially as we look at salvation, that grace tops the chart. Um, so Wesley, we were called Methodist because he was key on methods for everything. He was very... Um, particular. <laughs> and he had, method, he had methods and activities that were designed to promote what he called holiness of heart and life, that, uh, that we had um, acts of piety, prayer and worship, and Bible study, communion, all of that would create holiness of heart. But we also needed to have holiness of life and that would mean that for Wesley there is no religion but social religion we need to make a difference in the world that that we are changed and blessed for a reason and if we need to help bring that kingdom of God on earth now that we are um, we should we should be active socially in making a difference in the world and he would say there is no holiness but social holiness so we need to be and that's why Methodists are so big on mission. Um, the Wesleyan community of faith promotes then both spiritual growth. We're 
I mean, look online. We've got a million Bible studies. So we want everyone to grow spiritually and in their personal relationship with God and as a community of faith, grow together in our relationship with God. But also that that Wesleyan community of faith equips and mobilizes us for mission and service to the world, which I think we just had two mission groups come back, a family trip to Costa Rica and a college trip from the Dominican Republic, and they said it was unbelievable. So John Wesley, it's going back, he was a priest in the Church of England, and this is, and, and early in his career or vocation, he was in constant search, a lot like Martin Luther, constant search for this inner sense of assurance that he was a child of God, that he truly had salvation. And so early in his vocational career, his hope for salvation was grounded in reliance upon this sincerity of his own desire to lead a Christian life. And his words on that, his assurance or, or of salvation rested upon is what he said, the hope of our calling. To know our hope is sincerity, not perfection. Now, take note of that. This is early on. He says, to know the hope of our calling is sincerity, not perfection. He's going to change his tune. As we study our, his sermon today, you're going to see that his theology changes a bit. It's not that, that the hope is not to do well, but to do our best, which, of course, this leads to, again, this continued nagging awareness of his own shortcomings because he couldn't ever do what he thought was best. Um, so on May 24, 1738, this priest from the Church of England, and there's a lot of background to this, but he has this experience. He rises up. This is all detailed in his journal. He gets up at 5 a.m., as he always did, and he reads from 2 Peter 1, 4, and the scripture is, Thus he has given us through these things his precious and very great promises so that through them you may escape from the corruption that is in the world because of lust. And not he doesn't just mean sensual lust here. This is lusting for power, money, etc. And may become participants in the divine nature. So we have these promises and that we can be participants in the divine nature. So the wheels are turning as we discover in his journal that that afternoon he went to services at St. Paul's in London. Wouldn't we all love to be there this morning? And they sang a song called, Out of the Depths I Have Called to Thee, which I think is something John Wesley probably did a lot, called out of the depths, called to God. So his heart, he's, he's, that morning he's read, that afternoon he goes to services at St. Paul's, and then he writes in his journal, In the evening I went very unwillingly, to a society in Aldersgate Street. A society would be like a, a Bible study or a small group, so it's a, a smaller group that gathers. I went to a society in Aldersgate Street where one, this is a man, where one was reading Luther's preface to the epistles to the Romans about a quarter before nine while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ. I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation. And an assurance was given to me. This assurance he's been looking for all these years. An assurance was given to me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. 
So he talks about his heart being strangely warm, and that is one of the reasons why the Methodist symbol is the cross and flame. And so his heart catches on fire at this moment, and he has this assurance. And then later, this is one of his quotes. He says, catch on fire with enthusiasm, and people will come for miles to watch you burn. And from this moment, that's exactly what happened to him and what people did. He was so on fire for Jesus Christ that people would come for miles to hear what he had to say. And so move forward to 1782. And this is just a story about him that was in Billy Abraham's book. It said, okay, so there were four factories located in the town of Epworth. This is the place where John Wesley was serving in Epworth. So there's four factories located in this town. And of course, in, where factories come, there's workers. And so there's employees, both young men and women, and even some children, because this is before child labor laws, which Wesley helped get. Um, so there's, there's these employees, and as might be thought in an industrial town, they had a manner, as Wesley described in conversation, described by Wesley as profane, and loose to the last degree. You can imagine, you know, like we would say, they probably talk like sailors, etc. So they had a manner in conversation, profane and loose to the last degree, and a few of those workers happened to stumble into a prayer meeting that Wesley's having that day, or that evening. And he says of them, they were suddenly cut to the heart. They had the maybe some of the same experience that he had on Aldersgate Street, and they immediately went out and brought friends to the meeting, and after this, he says, the whole scene was changed, like everybody that worked in this factory, in these factories. God put a new song in their mouth, and blasphemies were turned to praise. No trifling word was heard among them, and they watch over each other in love. I found it exceedingly good to be there. He'd gone to visit to, to see this group. And he said, I found it exceedingly good to be there. And we rejoiced together in the God of our salvation. Now, from a Wesleyan perspective, we would say that these young men and women were being saved. So they, what they had an experience that changed their lives and they turned turn the direction of their lives toward one that was um, in more in line with God's will. So as we've learned over these last three weeks, the words saved and salvation bring with them not a fair amount of baggage, a lot of baggage. It, 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 as we talked about the theories of, of atonement last week, we could see where all of that gets real tangled. But for some, for instance, for some, and this is what Wesley would say, that for some, Salvation means being saved from God's wrath, and their view is that God, since God can't be in the presence of sin, uh, and the price of sin is eternal punishment, that um, God, by becoming incarnate in Jesus Christ and dying on the cross, which of course we believe paid the price for our sin, and that through faith in Jesus Christ we receive salvation. And what that means for some is that we have a secure place and, and this is like the whole point, a secure place eternally with God, and we avoid the punishment of sinners in hell. So as we talked about two weeks ago, 
that for some, salvation is being saved from hell and for heaven. And what Wesley would say, what we would say, is that eternal life with God is, is that's part of salvation, is, is having an eternal future with God. But as, remember, we talked about eternal life is also now. We can experience um, the beginnings of eternal life, the joy of eternal life, and it comes to full fruition uh, after the resurrection. But eternal life with God is, is the final stage of, of salvation, this future salvation, which Wesley would call glorification. Um, so Wesley's sermon on the scripture way of salvation, uh, which we're going to kind of mine now, we're going to read the whole thing, but I'm going to pull out excerpts of it, is going to help us to help understand Wesley's thoughts on salvation and what that means. And he starts the sermon off, um, this is, the sermon is based on a really short scripture, Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, but it is a gift of God. So grace faith, and this gift called salvation. So he starts the sermon off by asking a question. What is salvation? Well, we have explored that a lot this week. And what he says in the beginning, it is not what is frequently understood by that word, the going to heaven, eternal happiness. It is not a blessing which lies on the other side of death. It is a present thing, a blessing which through the free mercy of God ye are now in possession of. You're now in possession of salvation. Nay, the words may be rendered, and that with equal propriety, ye have been saved. You have been saved. So he's, all of this is coming from Scripture. When you see the little single quotes, it's, it's from Scripture. So that the salvation which is here spoken of might be extended to, and this is a very popular Wesley quote, the entire work of God from the first dawning of grace in the soul till it's consummated, till it is consummated in glory. The entire work of God from the first dawning of grace in the soul till it is consummated in glory is considered salvation to John Wesley. Grace. Grace is what, is what makes our Wesleyan heritage unique. Not that all, all, Christ, all Christians believe in grace, but our Wesleyan heritage is unique in that grace, that Wesley talked about salvation in terms of various forms or demonstrations of grace. Not wrath, but grace. Um, and he starts off talking about provenient grace. Salvation takes a sort of a, a linear look for, for uh, Wesley. And he starts talking about prevenient, prevenient grace that moves us to justifying grace to sanctifying grace, or what he would call also regeneration. And then the final form of grace would be what he calls Christian perfection or entire sanctification. So we're going to look at these four types of grace today and, and as through his sermon. All right, so prevenient grace or preventing grace, what does prevent sound like? Keeping from. Well, that's not what it meant. I know when we think of Preventing grace, we think, well, God's going to keep us from something, and it doesn't mean stopping. Uh, for Wesley and that culture and that day, prevenient meant going before. So we have this grace that goes before. 
And what he means by that is that before we, can, before we ever reach out to God, God is reaching out to us from the, from the beginning, from the time that we're born. God is reaching out to us through the Holy Spirit, and God calls us to, into a loving, life-giving relationship and creates in us this desire to know God and to love God or in Wesley's words, what he said was, um, prevenient grace is all the drawings of the Father, the desires after God to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with his God. It's all of that wooing that God does of us before we're even aware of what it is. This, this thinking in ourselves, there's, there's something more to life than this, that I want to know more about God. All of that Wesley said, is, is God pursuing us and God's grace going before us? And so Wesley points out that often people stifle these desires. And after a while, he says, they forget, or at least they deny, that those ever existed. And so once one is drawn to God, once one realizes, I need God in my life, for Wesley, the salvation that he was talking about that was in the scripture that the Apostle Paul was writing about consists of two parts. So we've got provenient grace, and now we're moving on to justification and sanctification. So the Paul, Paul writes, They are now justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now you remember... Justification is a judicial term, meaning, what does it mean? We're justified. We're, we're seen as, yeah, as, as, as if you hadn't committed the crime. You're justified. Um, so we are redeemed. So justification is another word for pardoned. We are pardoned. You know, the, the jail door is open. You can go free. It's the forgiveness of all of our sins and what Wesley would say, what is necessarily implied therein, our acceptance with God. We are reconciled in relationship with God and our sins are forgiven and that is justification. And so when we say yes then to the work of the Holy Spirit, that means that we repent of our old way of living and that we accept God's new way of living. We, we turn around. Um, so repentance then is not just feeling sorry for what we've done. Like my kids, you know, they, somebody would do a wrong and, I, and I'd say, you need to say, sorry, you know. It's not just feeling sorry for what we've done, but repent means to actually change direction or turn around. And so we're going to turn and change the direction of our lives, but we can't do it ourselves. We do it through, through the Holy Spirit. And there's a story in the Bible that sort of reflects this. And this is the story of Zacchaeus. So we're going to read through this real quick. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through it, and a man was there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich, which meant he was a crook. The chief tax collectors, they, they shortchanged people, they charged too much money for whatever they did, and so he got rich off of, off of other people and probably do, no little bit of fraud. You know, he, he was the Enron of the day. So he was a chief tax collector and he was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, as we all are, right? But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was short in stature. So as we all know what he does, he 
runs ahead and he climbed a sycamore tree so that he could see Jesus because Jesus was going to pass by that way. And so when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. And so he hurried down and was happy to welcome him. You've got this man who's, who wants to, who, this great religious figure who is not shunning a sinner. Because remember the Pharisees of the day, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, thought that salvation was for them, for the people who are already righteous, who are already keeping all the rules. And we have this great religious leader wanting to, not being shunned, not being ostracized, saying, I'm going to come see you. And it was heart-changing for him. And so he's happy to welcome him. And all who saw it, the good people, right, those church-going folk, begin to grumble. And they said, he has gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner. That's just unheard of. And Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, half my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone anything, I will pay back four times as much. His life has changed. He's changing direction. And Jesus said to him, Today, salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. He is a child of God too, even the sinner the person who doesn't have their life together yet is still, God's arms are open. They too are a child, a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek out and to save the lost. Not the people who have their act cleaned up, not who are perfect, but those who need to be found. I think that'd be me. Zacchaeus so didn't just say, I'm sorry for what I've done. Jesus' love for him caused him to change the direction of his life. And so repentance then is responding to God's love and reorienting our lives in love and in service to God. And so that is, and so when we repent, we receive God's justifying grace and all of our sins are forgiven and then we are reconciled to God in our relationship and we are totally accepted by God. So we've done provenient grace and justification and the immediate effects of justification as Wesley found them to be, what he was searching for, are the peace of God, as he said, a peace that passeth all understanding from Philippians 4, and a rejoicing in hope of the glory of God with joy unspeakable and full of glory. He's catching on fire, and people are going to watch him burn. And at the same time, we are justified, he says. So this is like this immediate thing. At the same time we're justified, guess what happens? Yea, in that very moment, in that very moment, sanctification begins. So sanctification, sanctification, that's a big word. What does that mean? Well, in the Greek, and it, we do find sanctify, sanctification in the New Testament. And it's a word called uh, agiamos. Agiasmos, sorry. And it's also tra uh, translated as holy. Holiness begins in us. We become, we become more holy. And sanctification is what Wesley also referred to as being born again from John 3. So in that moment, we become born again, or as he would say, in that instant, we are born again. 
We are born from above. We are born of the Spirit. And we feel the love, oh, this is a great line of his. I love this. We feel the love of God shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. That this, our hearts then begin to be filled with God's love. Producing love to all mankind, changing that earthly, sensual, devilish mind into the mind which was in Christ Jesus. That image of God is beginning to be restored. And so the Apostle Paul writes this, If anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. And so John Wesley embraced this, that after, as the, the, during, after justification, the sanctification process, this process of being changed back into the image, of having the image of God restored in us and gaining the mind of Christ begins. And for Wesley, justification, I think we could say, is what God does for us, the forgiveness of sins. And the sanctification is what God does in us, this changing us to want to be, have a holiness of life, having that image of God restored, having the mind of Christ, and so that is internal. And so this substantive change that happens within us through the Holy Spirit results from Christ's righteousness being imparted to the believer. We believe in Christ, and as a result, Christ's righteousness is imparted to us. And it is not a one-time experience for Wesley, but it's a matter of daily growth and concern for everyone. Um, I know when my kids were little, I'd wake up every day when they were really young, and I would pray for patience (laughs) every day. And every night when I went to bed, I would pray for forgiveness. <laughs> it was a daily, a daily concern and, this, and this, this hope that I would grow in patience. And so we are, sometimes in sanctification, we're like, we go forward three steps and sometimes back one or two. That Hopefully daily, it's a daily reaching out to God and daily the spirit working within us. So Wesley spoke of sanctification uh, as the way, of course, that one becomes a new person with new ideas and new hopes and new goals. Uh, But also he speaks uh, to the way that God, through the process of sanctification, and I love this, expels the love of the world, the love of pleasure, of ease, of honor, of money, together with pride and anger, self-will, and every other evil temper. Now, that takes some time, doesn't it? That doesn't happen overnight. That is a process, and that is changed, of course, into the mind that was in Christ Jesus. And so the process of sanctification, where we become more Christ-like, is a gradual one for most of us. It, it Definitely for me, I don't know about for you, um, and that we, uh, upon our faith in Jesus Christ, will have, we will not have a sinless existence. That we will continue to kind of mess up. Um, and sometimes we feel like the Apostle Paul. Remember when Paul said these things? He says in Romans 7, For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. Yeah, wretched, wretched man that I am. I felt that way every, more, every, every night before I went to bed. Wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? Those, those actions in our life that really 
leave us empty and feeling dead and not connected to God uh, and to eternal death. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord that that, that is who is going to save us from that wretchedness that we have. So through the work of the Holy Spirit and sanctification, we grow in our faith, in our love of God, in our desire and ability to live as God would have us to live, that kingdom living. That's Hopefully we're growing in that day by day, um, and not just for ourselves, but for others. And so Wesley would say, from the time of our being born again, the gradual work of sanctification takes place. We are more and more dead to sin, and we are more and more alive to God. And then he would say, we go on to perfection. And we think about that, and we think, there is no way. I will never be perfect. And yet, let's, think, let's look and see what Wesley says. This, this entire sanctification would be perfection. It is thus that we await entire sanctification, full salvation from all of our sins, from our pride, self-will, anger, unbelief, or as he would say, we go on to perfection, which uh, reflects Hebrews. Here, perfection means perfect love. Perfect love. Love filling the heart, taking up the whole capacity of the soul. Doesn't he have a way with words? And he gets that idea that we can go on to this perfection in love from Scripture, from Matthew. Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Well, I think that's a pretty tall order. I don't know that I've... Let's go on and see what he says. In 1 John, John says, If we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is perfected in us. This perfection in love. Therefore, the writer of Hebrews says, Let us go on towards perfection. And I've got to tell you, when, when Methodist ministers are ordained, one of the questions asked by the bishop, and you better be ready to say yes, is do you believe that you are going on toward perfection? And if you said no, he'd probably say, then you can sit down. <laughs> that there is this, that do you have faith that God can continue to work in you and perfect you in love? And so Wesley then, Christian perfection, didn't mean that we become perfect people uh, in the sense that we're free from error or free from making mistakes or that we are free from disabilities or temptations in life. But for Wesley, this perfection meant that the Holy Spirit can work within us in such a way that we no longer willfully sin, that we no longer purposefully um, go against what we know God wants us to do and that our wills align with God's will. It's still a tall order. Um, so we may make mistakes in life, but we no longer purposefully or knowingly disobe disobey the desires of God. And if we reach that part, that way in life and where we have full and perfect love for other people, then, then Wesley would say we have been perfected in love. And so while Christian perfection then seems like a tall order. Perfection only makes sense, of course, if we remember that it's God's doing and not ours. It isn't us who's making that perfection happen. It's God. And it's that always relying on God to bring those changes in our life. 
It's not us doing it for ourselves. Which brings us back to faith in the last part of his sermon. We can have faith in God and expect, of course, that the Holy Spirit will work this absolute miracle in each of us who puts his or her faith in Jesus Christ. That's what Wesley would say. We can have faith in that. And faith for Wesley in, in this sermon, he says, is a divine evidence and conviction not only that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. So that's what we believe. We, that's when we have faith in that and faith in Christ, that Christ died for us. But also that Christ, is. this was so overpowering for Wesley, that Christ loved me and gave himself for me, it is by this faith that we receive Christ. And it is certain this faith necessarily implies assurance. And that assurance is evidence that Christ loved me and gave himself for me. For it is by this faith we are saved, justified and sanctified. And so for Wesley, salvation all hinges on God's grace. God's prevenient grace that draws us toward God, God's justifying grace, that, and that prevenient grace then leads us toward repentance through faith, and then God's justifying grace that forgives us of our sins, and God's sanctifying grace then working through the Holy Spirit to perfect us in love. Wesley closes his sermon on the scripture way of salvation by saying, now is the day of salvation. Behold, all things are ready. This was a sermon, by the way, and I'm sure there was an altar call afterward. Now, now <laughs> is the time of salvation. Behold, all things are ready. Come unto the marriage. Look for it, salvation. Look for salvation every day, every hour, every moment. Certainly, you may look for it now. If you, believe, if you believe it is by faith and not works, if you believe salvation is by faith, if you seek it by faith, you may expect it. As you are, you don't have to clean up, you don't have to be righteous already, just like the um, prodigal son. You can come in your rags, you can come dirty, you can come as you are. You can expect it, you can expect it as you are. And if as you are, then expect it now. Expect it by faith. Expect it as you are. Expect it now. And then he says, Christ is ready. And he is all you want. He's waiting for you. He is at the door. Let your innermost soul cry out, Come in, come in, thou heavenly guest, nor hence again remove. But sup with me, and let the feast be everlasting love. And that is why I'm a Methodist. And that feast is available to all of us, and it's available to you today through Holy Communion, one of the means of grace. John Wesley said, we should put ourselves in the means of grace so that we can experience that, that grace of God every day. So we put ourselves in prayer, in worship, in um, fasting, in Bible study, in the community, 
and we place ourselves in, the mean, in all these means of grace we can so that we can experience God's presence in our lives. And one of those ways is through Holy Communion. So we hope that you'll stay after the service for Holy Communion.